fantastic. Sherry uh, is the director of Kavanaugh Children's Center. Uh, she's been uh, with us for 13 years, and this afternoon from 2 to 3, we have open house uh, back in our Children's Center, getting ready for school to start tomorrow. All right, so uh, be praying about that. Uh, Miss Robin Thomas, uh, is a member of our church, she's been at our center for 17 years. And Miss Jane Ann Branch, she's been there 33 years and still going. Amen, isn't that great? Here, here's a little fact you may not know about our Children's Center. It's been in operation since 1977, uh, probably one of the oldest in the city and without a doubt the best. Right? So uh, pray for our Children's Center as they kick things off this afternoon uh, with open house. During World War II, when it was difficult for President Franklin Roosevelt to travel among the troops overseas because of his paralysis and wheelchair, the first lady often took his place, and she became a favorite among the soldiers. As she traveled around the world, she would send cables and letters back to FDR. She became his eyes and ears among the troops. On one such trip in the Pacific Theater, she spent one particular evening talking to a group of soldiers. And she, when she wrote back to the president, she said, there was only one thought on all of their minds, and that was to finish the battle so that they could go home. Halfway around the world, home had become the goal for which they were all living. Well, I'm sure it's that way today with all of our American troops serving overseas. There's one thought on their minds, and that is to finish the struggle so they can come home. And for you and me, that should be the way we feel about heaven. Our thoughts should turn frequently in that direction. We shouldn't become too settled down on this world because we're here on special assignment and we are looking forward to the time of our furlough when we can go home. Now, when I was a teenager, one of my pastors used to always say, there are some Christians that are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And I don't know, that may have been the case back in the 70s, but, but I, I don't think that's the case today. In fact, the reality is we don't think of heaven enough. Chances are most of us are too worldly minded. So much so that we're not doing this world any good. So, you know what, we need, to, we need to think more about heaven. Amen? I started a little series actually a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night talking about heaven, and I became so enthralled with it, I preached about heaven last Sunday, and I want to preach about heaven again today. Revelation chapter 21. Last week we looked at the first few verses. Today we're going to look at the end of the chapter, beginning in verse number 22. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 22. Are you ready to think about heaven? Yeah. All right, here we go. But I saw, and this is John speaking about the new Jerusalem, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. 
And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading and now the preaching of your word. As I speak on the outside, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the interesting things about this passage to me is the, uh, the approach that John takes here. So suppose I met someone while traveling overseas or even out of town, and they asked me about Fort Smith. What's Fort Smith like? Well, what if I said, Statue of Liberty is not in Fort Smith, or the Empire State Building is not in Fort Smith, the White House is not in Fort Smith. The, the Golden Gate Bridge is not in Fort Smith. Six Flags over Texas is not in Fort Smith. Well, the other person might say, well, okay, but what is in Fort Smith? That would be a strange conversation, would it not? Yet that's what John does as he takes us visually into this city of the New Jerusalem. He is amazed at what he does not find there. Specifically four things. First, he tells us that there are no church buildings in heaven. Specifically, there is no temple in the city of New Jerusalem. Verse 22 says, But I saw no temple in it. Well, in the Old and New Testament, the Jewish temple had an enormous geographical and political and theological significance. It had its beginnings with the Old Testament tabernacle. And when Moses had finished building that tabernacle in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord moved in like some kind of meteor plunging into that tent, filling it with clouds and the light of God's holy presence. Later on, after the wilderness wanderings were over, Solomon converted that concept into a literal building on a place called Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And the temple of Solomon, which we call the first temple, was built. It was the most beautiful building on earth. The glory of the Lord filled that building. Literally, it became God's dwelling place on earth. And then in the book of Ezekiel, we have this remarkable description of how the glory of the Lord departed from that temple because of the idolatry and the immorality of the people. And then the Babylonians came in and they destroyed it. Later on, a remnant of the Jews returned to the rubble of Jerusalem and they built a new temple in its place, which we call the second temple. And Herod the Great enlarged it and even renovated it. And it was in this particular second temple that the Lord Jesus Christ preached and ministered during the New Testament. It too, however, was destroyed, this time by the Romans in the first century. Today, even as I speak, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is the most volatile, disputed, and dangerous 
35 acres of land on planet earth. And it is at the heart of the conflict between the Jews and quite literally the rest of the world. But there will be no temple in the eternal Jerusalem. Now why is that? Well, it's because the tabernacle and the temple in the Bible represented God's guest quarters on planet earth. Really, the temple was, was kind of like his guest cottage. <laughs> it, it is the place that in the Bible represented the headquarters of God's dwelling on this earth. But in the new heavens and on the new earth and in the new Jerusalem, the Lord is not going to be the guest. He's going to be the host. We're going to go there to live with Him. And His presence is going to be very real. In fact, He Himself is the temple. Literally, we will worship Him. John said, but I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, which is Jesus, is its temple. <laughs> Number two, the second thing that John does not find in heaven is a need for the sun or the moon. Now, you've got to be very careful when you read this passage. John could have said, I did not see a sun, I did not see a moon. He could have said, there is no sun or there is no moon. But he didn't say that. He simply said that there is no need for the sun, nor is there need for the moon in terms of giving light, because this city is going to be illuminated constantly by the light that literally radiates from God Himself. Look at verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. And then I love this little phrase, the Lamb is its light. The Lamb is Jesus. Jesus is its light. So God the Father and the Lamb of God burns and beams, radiating light just as a living star or a sun. And so this city is literally lit up from the inside out. And the light of God's glory, refracted and reflected in all the translucent glass and crystals and diamonds and gold of this city, makes it a place that shimmers and shines with this brilliance that we can only imagine. I can't even begin to understand it, much less explain it. You know, every one of those books that I've read of people who've had afterlife experiences, people who have, who have died and, and seen maybe a glimpse of heaven, they always, every single one of them, talk about the light and the brilliance of the light that they see. Isaiah chapter 60 speaks of this same reality. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for the brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your glory and your God your glory for the Lord will be your everlasting light so God and the son Jesus are the light of new Jerusalem 
It's lit up from the inside out. It, it comes from the throne of God. Something that occurred to me as I was reading and studying this is, is that, that lamb. It says, it says in verse 23, the lamb, the lamb is its light. This same Jesus referred to here as the lamb who lights up heaven. He is the light of heaven. That same Jesus that lights up heaven can light up your life. Right here, right now. You see, the Bible tells us that, uh, that we live in spiritual darkness. That's what this world is. It's a dark place. Darkness correlates with sin. Sin and darkness go together. This is a dark world that we live in. There's evil all around us. Evil is happening right, right now, this very moment. Maybe out in the parking lot. To your car. <laughs> It just brought a thought to my mind. I, I can remember as a kid, we were at church one Sunday night, and, and somebody planted a mustard bomb in our car while we were in church. You ever heard of a mustard bomb? Well, it's a mess. It was a 1961 Chevy Impala that we had. It was a beautiful little car, and it was, it was a great car. Somebody planted a mustard bomb in that car. They weren't after our family. There was another family in the church who had a car just like ours. They just got the wrong car. Yeah. Look at Bad things happen all around us. This is a dark, evil world that we live in. Spiritual darkness abounds. And the Bible tells us that in our sins, we are like blind people groping in the darkness. And isn't that descriptive of life? Without Jesus, that's what our life is. It is a dark place. It's a dark life. That's why people are, they're just confused and messed up and going in the wrong directions. They get, people can't think right because their minds have not been transformed by the light of God. We can't understand the spiritual things of God. We cannot understand what true reality is because our minds have been so distorted and perverted by the darkness that is all around us. How do we get out of this darkness? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He is the light. He is the light of heaven and He is the light of this world. And when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, He chases all the darkness away. So there is no more darkness and night, nothing to fear, because Jesus has turned our life into light. He is the light of heaven he can be the light of your life. Third, there are no shut gates and there is no night in heaven. Uh, verse 25 says, Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. That's just an amazing verse to me. The gates of the city shall not be shut at all by day. And guess what? That means they're continuously open because there is no night. Hmm. I don't know if you have the same routine I do, but let me tell you my routine every evening. Right before I go to bed, I will first of all go to the garage door, and I will open the door going into my garage, and I will look in the garage to make sure that the big garage door is shut. 
Sometimes somebody in my family forgets to push that little button and shut the door, so I'll make sure that is shut. Then I'll shut the garage door going into the garage, and I'll lock it. Two locks, the handle and the deadbolt, click, click, check it. Then I'll walk to the front door, and I'll make sure those two locks are locked, click it, click it. I'll go to the back door, and I'll make sure that the two locks on the back door are locked, click it, click it. Why? Because I want to keep honest people from breaking into my house. That, that's all those locks are good for. You know it? Because all around all those doors is glass. I mean, they can break in if they want to. It's just kind of a habit that I have. You know? It's nighttime. It's dark. Creepy things happen at night. Bad people come out to do mean things at night. So let's lock up our house to keep the bad stuff out. Then I'll turn out all the lights and I'll go to bed. My beautiful wife lays in the bed with me. She's in the bed with me. She's actually on my left side. On my right side, I keep some friends. <laughs> and, and just so they don't get to feeling bad, I switch them out. So... It may be Colt next to me, or Smith and Wesson next to me, or Mr. Winchester, or Remington. I've got an Australian friend named Mr. Glock that I keep next to me sometimes. Now, some of, some of y'all, that's just going right over your head. Let me just put it like this: even though there may be glass around my doors, don't break into my house at night. I am a preacher, and I love people, but I also pack heat. Well, I'm bad, aren't I? <laughs> and typically, I can hit what I'm aiming at, too. So that's beside the typically. Sometimes I can't, but... You know, that's, what, that's what I... Do you do something like that? Do you lock your doors? Yeah. You know, in, in, in the Bible, that's what happened. Cities had walls around them. They had gates. And at night, every night, they would shut the city gates. Why? They didn't want bad people coming in and messing with their city. When does that happen? It happens at night. Well, guess what? There is no night in heaven. Creepy things can't happen at night in heaven because there is no night. They don't have to shut the gates because guess what? There are no bad people in heaven. No mean things can happen, so the gates are constantly open. Wow, I don't, you know, I mean, that's pretty cool to me. You know, you know what it tells me? And it, every time I, I, I read and, and, and preach the Bible or just read it for myself, I'm, what is this saying to me? What this is saying to me is, you know what? Will, when you get to heaven, there's going to be nothing to fear. There is no fear in heaven. God's going to take care of all of that. And then there's a couple of verses that, uh, that I haven't dealt with. They don't have the not going to be in heaven thing, but, but they describe the things that are not in heaven. It's verses 24 and 26. So let me go back and, and <clears throat> just kind of talk about these two verses for a moment. I think verse 24 and 26 go together. Uh, verse 24 is, is involved in the, the verse that talks about the no need for sun and the moon and God being the light there. It says, And the nations of those who are saved 
shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and their honor into it. And then verse 26 that kind of goes with the no shut gates and the no night says, And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. I believe this means that the people, the people groups from all the nations of this earth who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb will be the people living in the city of New Jerusalem. The word nations there literally means people groups, different kinds of people. In other words... Korean Christians are going to be in heaven. Chinese Christians are going to be in heaven. Brazilian Christians are going to be in heaven. African Christians are going to be in heaven. American Christians are going to be in heaven. And the list goes on and on of all the nations or people, groups in heaven, literally People from every nation and tribe and tongue will populate that city. Okay, most people agree with that. The real question is, what is it that they're bringing into the city? Because in both verse 24 and 26, it, it says that they bring glory and honor in. Verse 24, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Verse 26, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. I probably read at least a dozen commentaries from some really smart theologians, and every one of them had a different opinion <laughs> of what the glory and the honor represent. That, that just kind of leads me to believe nobody really knows. There's speculation. Everybody has their idea. I formulated my own idea. What does the glory and the honor mean? When, when I read this and when it talks about the peoples of the nation, the saved, the redeemed, those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus coming into the new Jerusalem, coming before the throne of God, and they are bringing into the city and before God glory and honor. What I think of is Revelation chapter 4, a passage that I preached from a couple of Wednesday nights ago. It is John's first vision or glimpse into heaven. And he sees the throne of God and the one who is sitting on the throne. And there is this, this sea of glass before the throne and, and an emerald rainbow behind it. And then he, he sees these elders in their seats with their crowns of gold, and he sees these four beasts flying around the throne. Verse 8 of chapter 4 says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within and without, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give, and hear my words, glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, then the 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and they worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and they cast their golden crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord 
to receive what? Glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now what that tells me is, there's a whole lot of praise and worship going on in heaven. The elders, the angels, the the four beasts that are there, they are giving glory and honor to God. I had to ask myself, Harmon, what is it that you have to bring before a holy God? Not that I'm a king, but you know what? The kings were bringing something before the Lord. The, the, the peoples of the nation were bringing something before the Lord. I said, Harmon, what is it you have to offer God? And I looked around, and I didn't see anything good enough. Other than my worship, which I understand in this present world and in this life is somewhat imperfect, but that's what I have to give him. I don't know if you have a purpose statement for your life. I wrote one several years ago, and I try to repeat it to myself every day. I want to live my life in such a way as to bring praise, honor, and glory to him. Everything I do, everything I say, everything I think. To bring praise, honor, and glory to God. And to try to lead somebody else a little closer to him every day. Eh, We don't have a lot to offer him. But we do have worship to give. To bring glory and honor before his throne. But you know, as I, as I continued to think about that, I, I came to the realization that, you know what, Harmon? That, that, that's not just something for heaven. That is something for right now. If that's what you're going to be doing in heaven, you, you need to be practicing it right now. You need to be doing it right now. And what motivation was spurred inside of me to live a holy life, to live a spotless life, To bring something that is worth glory and honor before the throne of the king. To present my body a living sacrifice in his presence. Wow. You do have something you can give. Glory, honor, and praise. Finally, not only will there be no temple and no need for the sun or the moon and no shut gates or night there. Number four, there's going to be no sin. The chapter ends with verse 27. And if you were here last Sunday, I ended my sermon last Sunday with this same verse. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, so specifically he's saying... There's not going to be any sin in heaven. Nothing that defiles, nothing that is an abomination, no lie. If you go back to verse 8 of chapter 21, he even gets more specific in using examples of things and sins that will not be in heaven. Bottom no sin is going to be in heaven. Listen to me. Heaven is a perfect place. And if God allowed anything into heaven that is imperfect, it would no longer be heaven. 
So there is no sin in heaven. I guess that brings up a pr- pretty important question. Then if, if you already said we're all sinners, how in the world are we going to get there? It's only through his forgiveness. You have to be saved, or as the Bible says, born again. You, your life has to be transformed, and only Jesus can do that. That can only happen through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's only, there's only one way you can get into heaven, and it tells us this in verse 27 right there. That, that, there's no sin in heaven, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The only people permitted into heaven, the only people who will get to spend eternity in heaven are people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, it goes back to just what I said. The only way your name can be put in the Lamb's book of life is if you've invited Jesus into your heart. If you have allowed the spotless Lamb of God to cleanse you and to forgive you of your sins. The moment you invite Jesus into your heart, your name is written in that book. It's called the the Lamb's Book of Life, and it is the treasure piece of heaven. This book is repeatedly mentioned in the Holy Bible. As early as Exodus chapter 32, Moses, in his frustration and grief over the sins of his people, fell on his face and prayed, Lord, if you will forgive their sin... But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. I tell you, that, that's a leader who cared about his people. Daniel chapter 12 says, And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10, Do not rejoice over the fact that spirits were subject to you, but rejoice, rather, because your names are written in the book of heaven. Paul wrote to the Philippians, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel and with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Revelation 13.8 talks about those whose names have been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Then I want you to listen to this passage, Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. I consider this the starkest and perhaps the most frightening passage that is found in all the Bible. Chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books, plural, the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The first set of books that were open. Now don't tell me that what you don't do or don't do on this earth is is unimportant because it is. 
Everything we do is written in these books that are kept in heaven. And it specifically says right here, we're going to be judged by what we have done. And what we have done has been recorded. It's in the books, plural. There's a, there's a bunch of them. In fact, you've got your own book, I'm sure. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged. Again, each one according to his what? His works that are written in those books. Verse 14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. What he's describing there is hell. A lake of fire and brimstone. You know, heaven is forever, and we like to think about it. Hell's forever too. Hell is eternal. It's a a horrible place of fire and burning, eternal heat. There is no way to stop it, to, to cool the temperature. There's no quench for your thirst. What a horrible place. But listen to verse 15. And anyone, anyone, not not just reprobates, not just murderers, not just those who are killers, not, not, not just horrible people, but anyone, even, even some pretty nice folks who attend church, who give money to good causes. <laughs> Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But that's pretty specific, guys. If your name is not in that book, you're going to hell. Both Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 and Revelation 21 27 tells us that your name must be in the Lamb's book of life. For you to go into heaven. Can you imagine how terrible it's going to be on that day? For someone who gets to the gates of heaven and even sees the glow of the celestial city and stands before the Lord himself at his great white throne. And this book, the book of life, the Lamb's book of life is opened and here are angels scanning page after page but that particular person's name is not listed in the Lamb's book of life. It is nowhere to be found. Their name is not there. Can you imagine the horror? I know, I know in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because the Bible tells me that. I think... I think the weeping and gnashing of teeth may start right here before God's great white throne of judgment. These people may cry out, Lord, will you look again? Lord, I I went to church. Lord, I, I didn't mean to pass up all of those opportunities to proclaim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Give me another chance. It's going to be too late then. And and, and let me tell you something. It's not because God is mean. and It's not because He doesn't like you. That's what this life is all about. God's giving you the chance right now. Your opportunity 
is now. Back in 1900, Fanny Crosby penned these words. And, and I know they're antiquated. We don't talk this way anymore. But listen to what she wrote. In the book which thou art keeping, in thy book of life so fair, tell me, O my Savior, tell me, is my name recorded there? Is it there? Is it there? In thy book of life so fair, tell me, O my Savior, tell me, is my name recorded there? Guys, what I'm trying to tell you is this. This is something you need to know right now. I mean, right now, this minute, this very second, you need to know without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, you need to know for sure your name is in that book. And it's not that complicated. It's pretty simple. You just got to believe. Here at Kavanaugh, we say it's as simple as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that only Jesus can save you from your sins. And C, not only confess your sins to him, but confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. And then I like to add to that, live it. <laughs> live it. Here's some Bible verses you need to hear. The Lord is not willing for any to perish. You know what that means? God cares about you. God loves you. God does not want you to spend eternity in hell. He doesn't want you to perish. For God so loved the world, that means you, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God demonstrated His love for us in this, that yet while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. In your name will go in the book. And when you stand before God, and they open that book, and they look for your name, they'll say, yep, there it is. Oh, Will Harmon. He wasn't much, but when he was six years old, he gave his life to Jesus. And Jesus will say, Father, he's one of mine. Let him in. And the party begins. Is your name in the book? Heavenly Father, I pray that each one of us would search our own hearts. Lord, this is just so important. This is the most important thing in life. There, there are people out there in our room today who, who they've made some important decisions. They, they make important decisions every day. But Lord, help us each and every one to understand this alone is the single most important decision of our entire life. Are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to give our life to Jesus or not? Lord, for those who have made that decision, for those who have trusted you, I I pray that they would be living the life and looking forward to heaven. And dear Lord, during this time of prayer, may they come to the altar and just thank you for heaven and, 
And maybe pray for a loved one who's not ready to go to heaven. Put a burden on our heart today, Lord, for for people we know who are not ready for heaven. But then, dear Lord, there's people in this room. There are people here in, in, in this room right here today whose name is not written in the book. They've never invited Jesus into their heart. I pray that before this day's over, Lord, yes, even right now, during this invitation, that they would come and invite Jesus into their heart. Maybe they don't know how to do that. I pray that you just give them the assurance if they stand up and step out, that there will be a pastor who comes alongside of them and shows them how they can be saved. And dear Lord, for the person that is here today and there's a doubt, there's a question about whether or not they're going to heaven or hell, I pray that they would come and and square that away with you because we can know and give that assurance today. Lord, this is your time. Uh, The word's been read, it's been preached, your Holy Spirit is working. I, I just pray people would be willing to come and pray, get things right with you. We commit that to you and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? These guys are going to start praying, singing, and I'm praying for you. Would you just come right now, get things right with the Lord? Come and pray for whatever reason. Come on. As God speaks to your heart, would you come? Amen. to me.